to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and today we're going to be talking about a key area uh, in disaster recovery and business continuity planning and building our programs. Actually, it's an area that's uh, big in many different organizations, and uh, depending on what you do, this will always come up at some point. You know, at our banks, at our manufacturing industries, you know, everywhere, this comes into play. And we're going to be talking with a previous guest who's a colleague of mine, but more importantly, a friend of mine. Uh, We bounce a lot of ideas about disaster recovery and business continuity back and forth. Um, We're actually uh, working at the same place right now, but uh, not actually working together, unfortunately. Uh, Maybe one day soon. So I'd like to welcome back to the show uh, my friend, Alvaro Orantia. Welcome, Alvaro. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me back. Great to great to be on the show with you. Well, the the first episode uh, went very well about uh, perspectives on business continuity management. So I thought I'd have you back again. And as I started to say at the beginning of the show, we're going to talk about something really big and important to just about every industry, every organization, and that is risk management. I can probably hear all the groans out there now. I know it's not the the most exciting topic, but it's actually a very important one. And I know, Alvaro, you're quite well-versed on uh, um, uh, risk management. But before we get into that subject, can you kind of refresh our memory on your background and the things that you've done in the the past and how how and where you've got to now? No. Thank you, Alex. So, so I am uh, um, uh, in the IT world by by uh, academic background. I'm an IT engineer. Um, uh, a few years ago, I wanted just to see more the business side of things, and I, I went for an, a, an MBA. And, um, and little by little, I started getting more and more into different aspects of risk management, and specifically around um, business continuity, disaster recovery, a bit of emergency management, and also information security and privacy. So that's where I'm coming from. And uh, you recently, correct me if I hope I'm remembering this right, re- recently received your risk management uh, certification, correct? Yes, thank you. Yes, I received one of the different uh, types of designations for risk management. In this case, it is around IT risk and controls. Yes. Well, then you're going to be a great person to, for us to uh, learn about risk management from today. So to start off with, let's ask a very basic question. You know, what is risk management? Can you define that for us? Well, uh, this reminds me of a story if I had with uh, um, one of my former um, uh, leaders when I was in consulting. Uh, he tell, told me that he frequently had a hard time explaining his daughter, to his daughter what risk management was, what he did, because he was the risk management lead. lead. And, and I think I'm, uh, I'm alluding to it because it's, it's very wide and it's very ethereal in many ways. Um, we undertake risks every day without us even knowing. So if we just decide to take a secondary road and not the highway, we undertake a risk. Uh, but I guess risks uh, in, in, in many ways are, are mostly fine as, as events that 
uh, may or may not happen, so they have a likelihood of occurrence, and, and, and that's, those are events um, that could be threats, I guess, and, and as a result, if they materialize, they have an outcome or a consequence, right? In, and it is, it is risk management is, is the practice of understanding what those events are, what, what the, the likelihood of occurrence is, what the consequences are, of course, and also to adopt a, a certain uh, posture uh, in front of those events, right? So that, that is in very general terms what I would perceive as risk management. And as I said before, they, the risks happen all the time, and we take them and we manage risks all the time without, without us even knowing. So what, what kind of things, you know, would, would occur on a regular basis that um, myself, you know, the, the layman, you know, just kind of waking up in the morning, what kind of risks am I facing every day or that everyone is facing every day? What, what, what kind of risks are, are we talking about? Well, they're, they're very specific to each one on a personal basis. I mean, to start with, if you wake up in the morning and you live in a two-story home, the risk of the fall up the stairs is, is one of them, right? Or that you fall off bed, or your bed also is another one, or even that you slip and fall in your shower. So there's many, many risks that we see on our day-to-day activities. Um, and again, um, using that as an example, we might be saying, well, if I have the risk of falling in my shower, I better just put something on the floor that prevents me from slipping, right? And, and that's, that's part of what I would like to do, what I would be doing to manage such risk and to try to prevent it, right? So it is, on a day-to-day lives, we have many, many risks from the moment we, we get up. And from the, when we go out to work, we come back from work, we, we're, uh, we're, we're going through risks. Uh, it's just that in, in our day-to-day activities, we've learned to, to understand those risks, even just subconsciously, and to manage them, right? That when it's taken to a business perspective, that then we're having a more structured approach, and there's documentation, there's a lot more analysis that is, that is taken because it's business or business decisions what need to be made as a result of that. So when it comes to business and business continuity, what, what kind of risk types are there that you know on, on, we would be looking at uh, on you know, for business continuity programs and you know disaster recovery programs? What what kind of risk are we talking about there? Well, in, in terms of business risk, uh, there's there's as I said, it's, it's a very wide variety of risks. So at a business level, we have financial risk, we have reputational risk, regulatory risk, uh, market risk. Uh, even strategy risk. So what if the business strategy fails? That's strategy risk in many ways. And, and within, there's a very large category that is called operational risk. And business continuity falls into that category. So which is, which is really the business, the risk of business interruption due to a certain event or, or even an unforeseen event. So that's where business continuity falls in. And, and within business continuity risk, which is the, the, the continuance of the business, what is at risk? Then we have also disaster recovery, which is a very an even more specific kind of risk, which is IT continuity risk. So, how, how do we determine our you know? Um, I think you used the word exposure or vulnerability to to these risks. How do we determine that? You know, getting up in the morning, you said is is one way. You know, getting up and stepping in the shower, you've got a mat there, so you've gotten rid of the the risk of a slippery floor, but what do you do you know, in, in organizations what, to, to, to help get their um, business continuity programs going or where does it fall in, you know, in the business continuity program? When, when should they determine, you know, what risks they have? So 
So at the end of the day, any business continuity program or disaster recovery program should be hinged on on on, on what's at risk and what is the uh, risk appetite for an organization. Um, uh, in in terms of of uh, business continuity, uh, we're looking, or even in any risk, I would say we're looking at the regular risk uh, management life cycle. So the, the first uh, step I, I would say is we need to uh, identify those risks. And that, that begins even with, with a more basic part, which is the identification of threats. So what can happen? So, for example, if a business is in a certain location that is more prone to, uh, let's say, weather-related events such as uh, tornadoes. So we go through that process of saying, okay, tornadoes are one type of threat, and we might have uh, earthquakes, and we might have um, uh, severe um, rain or, or snowstorms, for that matter. And following that, we will look at the likelihood of those events happening, right? So, so yeah, maybe one in 50 years we have a snowstorm, but every year we have uh, tornadoes, right? Especially, for example, in the Caribbean when there's more um, um, propensity to hurricanes. Mm-hmm. And, and also based on that, uh, then we follow uh, um, another more detailed analysis in terms of how vulnerable are we. So we might have hurricanes, let's say, in the Caribbean every year between the June and the October time frame, right? But one thing is that if our facility is just a, a regular a house that can be affected by a hurricane versus our facility being a bunker. So if we are in a regular house, we are more vulnerable to that uh, event if materialized to affect us. If we're in a bunker, if it materializes, it wouldn't affect us. So we're less vulnerable. So that's, that's another part of the first stage, which is the risk identification, which is the threat analysis, the likelihood analysis, and the vulnerability analysis. So how, how would you uh, recommend that organizations go about doing this? You know, uh, did, just sending out questions to people or just, you know, send me your thoughts and that's it or workshops or, you know, what kind, what's the process of identifying these, you know? So the, the regular process also is, is run asking uh, the experts. So you probably have a, a mixed team of, um, um, of experts in, in that is specific to each um, uh, organization and that is specific to each industry. So you want to have an understanding of your vulnerabilities from the folks that are within the organization, but also want to have uh, other folks who are expert on, on, on these types of events we're looking at to have their own thoughts and their own views and also weigh in because we might be missing a few things. So it's a mixed team of experts. Typically, we do it through some questions, and then we validate some of the questions and answers through workshops. And once, once the, the overall landscape of risks, vulnerabilities, threats, I mean, the likelihood of occurrence is put together, we also look at the consequences. So if this happens, uh, this is the likelihood. What is the consequence? So if we have a hurricane and our facility is impacted, we will be out of business for this many days or this many months until we build a new facility. Right? So based on that, we identify the, the impacts really associated with the risk, which at that point, now we, we would complete a full risk assessment. So that, that is the first key stage that is going to get us prepared for the second one, the second stage. Having more to do with, with the... the Sorry, the, the, the management of the risk. And I'm combining, in technical terms, I'm combining what I'm saying first stage is really first and second. So in, in the more uh, um, conservative approach to risk management, you have the risk identification, 
uh, and then you have the, the, the risk assessment and then the management of risk in itself. And at that point, we're looking at adopting certain uh, um, postures to address that risk. The one thing that we cannot do with risk is to ignore it. But then we have many other things that we can do in or combine it, right? So we sorry, can... Sorry, sorry. I just did you say you know the worst thing we can do is ignore a risk? Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. So by ignoring risk, simply it's not going to go away, right? It's like like adopting True. sometimes what they say the the, the ostrich approach. So when I'm heading and hiding my head in the sand, but still hurricanes are happening, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So now that you've got um, the your your risks, you know, identified, you know, the consequences and the likelihood. What is the next step? It, what what do we do with it now? So at that uh, point, it, do we present I, the pre- present the findings to anybody? Well, we present findings, absolutely, our findings to to uh, the <laughs> executives and uh, the business decision makers at that point. Uh, but we also. Uh, Put together some recommendations, and and, and that that is also uh, part of what we want to do by, by adding value. We could say these are the findings, these are the risks, this is the likelihood. But typically, the question that will be asked is so what. So I think we need to be prepared as risk practitioners to answer this so what. And, and that to me maps to to uh, a few things. Not not ignoring, of course, but one is we, we avoid the risk. So if we have uh, an, a critical facility in the Caribbean. Avoiding the risk would be to not have it, right? Um, we, we can transfer the risk, which typically is using insurance. So we just purchase insurance and we transfer the risk to an insurance company, right? Um, we can accept the risk. We're saying, fine, we will do nothing with it. We accept it. That's the cost of doing business. We will not have a bunker. We'll just live in a regular house in the Caribbean. And, and fourth, really, in this case, we would mitigate the risk, really, which is which is really saying, okay, let's move to a, a bunker, right? And that way we mitigate. At the end of this process, uh, we will always have what is called a residual risk, right? And, and by the way, all of these different strategies to manage risk can be used in combination, right? But at the end, we'll have what is called a residual risk. Can you give us an example? So to give you an example in, in simple terms, so is if I, I I have this house in the Caribbean, right, and the house is worth a million dollars, so I will purchase insurance for six hundred thousand dollars. My residual risk is four hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Right, and, and the other concept really is the inherent risk. So the inherent risk is if I do nothing, what is the risk? In this case, one million dollars. Put it that way. Okay. Yeah. So. You present the the findings to um, the executives for approval. You know, um, what do we do with them then? You know, we, we've these. I'm assuming this is how it goes. You know, we've identified these risks. This is the likelihood. Here's how vulnerable we are or aren't to them, and uh, they're put in a, a specific uh, order of priority or impact uh, and probability. Um, what, do we get executives to agree to that? To, you know, and once they do or don't, what do we? What's the next step? What do we, we've got all these risks identified. What do we do next? Yeah. So, so once the executives agree on on the risks that we have identified, and of course, in the assessment overall, then we we work towards identifying the different strategies to to manage those risks, right? 
And through those strategies, uh, we select, uh, we have a cost-benefit analysis, of course. So in this case, let's say that building a bunker uh, is, is $100 million, and what's at risk when the regular house is $1 million. So maybe it's not worth uh, going the bunker side, right? So we, we do a bit of a cost-benefit analysis to understand really if, if the, the, the cost of managing that risk uh, and, and, and reduce it, I guess, to the point that we have that residual risk, is really worth what we're trying to protect and the consequences we're trying to, to avoid, right, or to, to, to minimize. So based on that, uh, we present uh, the executives also with the, that list of strategies and recommended strategies to, to manage that risk, right, to reduce the risk. Um, and there's, a, at that point, a decision-making process, which really kind of completes part of the, the most important part of the risk management cycle, the decision-making process. And, and once those decisions are made, then we're looking at implementing those decisions. So one thing is to say, yeah, let's build a bunker. Another thing is to actually build, right? So that's the, the next stage. Okay. And that's a great, uh, on that note, we're going to take our first break. We're talking with uh, Alvaro Arantia about risk management. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. 
And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. We're talking about risk management with Alvaro Arantia. And just before we went away on the break, Alvaro, you mentioned um, that we've got all these risks now. We've identified and we've done a cost-benefit uh, analysis, which, but curiosity, do you do cost-benefit analysis for every risk identified? No, excellent question. So uh, we do cost-benefit analysis for, for when it's possible. So there's, there's items that are really hard to quantify, like reputation, for example, and goodwill. Many companies go through extensive lengths to do it, and they, they can technically do it, but it takes quite a lot of time and it's quite costly as well. So many, many times what organizations do is saying, hey, there's, there's, there's a cost here, and sometimes it's just invaluable or very hard to quantify. Can sometimes that uh, hard to quantify uh, uh, cost be, you know, really significant? You know, uh, and people, st- organizations still might want to do something about it because uh, you know reputations can, uh, you know, can sink companies, right? You, if you want to accept a risk like that, you you could you know sink if something happens. Absolutely, yes, yes, and in, in so in those cases, I mean, what what's the, really the big difference is that instead of just putting a number. Um, organizations, they say this is very high or high, so they, they quantify the way, but they don't see necessarily a, uh, a cost to reputation or to goodwill. But they still, uh, based on their, their own feeling of the executives and the experts in the industry, they still have a way to, to dictate that or to manage that and then to take decisions, make decisions associated with that kind of quantification. Okay. So we've got all these risks now, and we've we've quantified them. And uh, for those that we we do a cost benefit analysis for, we've got them uh, prioritized. What's the next step? Like you know, we it, I'm sure that these risks don't just sit in a uh, you know, and hopefully not in a pile of paper somewhere. You know, what's the next step when it comes to business continuity and disaster recovery plans? What what should happen after we've identified our risks? So as, as I mentioned before, so business continuity and disaster recovery are a subset of operational risk. So, so in this case, we we just uh, look at the, the risks, and, and, and very likely we have a, a risk associated with this interruption and, and facility uh, uh, interruption as well. So that would result in in activities such as in this case um, identification of alternate facilities. In, in, in strategies also such as frustrating of personnel and in, in also just documentation. Uh, those, those are typical strategies that are adopted as part of the business continuity process. But, but I would start a little bit earlier in that case. I would just look at the, the very beginnings of business continuity. So once we're saying, yes, we have a risk of business continuity and this is the risk, we go through a, a more detailed assessment, which is the business impact analysis. So at that point, uh, we're saying the associated risk, <coughs> sorry, I'm still fighting a cold, <coughs> associated risk of uh, business interruption results in the following impacts, right? In understanding also what are the different dependencies at a process level uh, with other processes within the organization and on the technology side, which links to business continuity and then disaster recovery. But that's the beginning. And, and the development of business continuity plans also uh, is, is linked to the risks that we have identified and the strategies within the business continuity plans addresses some of those risks. So if we are in an area that is prone to pandemics, for example, a personal risk or 
cross-training of personnel from the other side of the coin, really, which is a strategy, is, is something that is more prevalent in the development of business continuity plans. But if we are at risk of a facility disruption, say we're in an area that is more prone to earthquakes, then probably there's something that, from a business continuity perspective, needs to be emphasized a little bit more, and it, we need to be a little bit more strict, put it this way, in the identification of ultimate facilities to continue business process. You, excuse me now, I'm getting your cold. Um, you mentioned uh, dependencies uh, when, you, when you're building some of your plans and things. Can dependencies be risks? Absolutely. So uh, if I, as an organization, have a dependency on another process within another department, put it this way, or even a third party, um, if that dependency or that requirement really has been impacted, uh, that could trigger a risk. So, so what is the likelihood of that dependency also uh, being unavailable or not being there for, for me? So we'll have also, in this case, a, a, a risk associated with that dependency. Yeah. Would that be like your supply chain you know, uh, risk management type of uh, plan and uh, process? Yes, exactly. So at that point, we're looking into third-party risk, and, and there's different ways to, to mitigate it, different strategies depending on what the risks are. So, so, for example, if I have a dependency on a third party and that third party is, it has built pretty much a niche um, core competency, so at that point, uh, I, would be, I would be in a greater risk than if I'm just depending on a third party uh, that has multiple competitors, right? So and I can switch very easily from one to another. And I adopt different strategies depending on that kind of relationship I have and the, the third party capabilities and the, the industry in which that third party operates. So would I be correct in um, saying that not only would I be doing a risk assessment you know, against my third parties, should I also be doing it on myself, on what I provide other parties? You yes, know, not and, just... and I think, yep, but I, I think that that's the, the, the overall risk assessment. When, when, you, when you conduct your risk assessment, part of your risks include also not only your ability or inability to, to provide your, your services to your clients also. But by the same token, there's client risk, which is do I have a concentration risk on just very few clients? So if those clients go away, am I going to be in trouble? So it, it is, it is an, a two-way street, essentially. What, what can affect or what can prevent me from, from reaching out to my clients and give them what they need, but also what happens if one of my clients is out of business and it affects me to the point of no return. Yeah. And uh, I assume it would be, and what happens to my clients if I go out of business? Or, you know, not, not so much out of business, let's, let's not say that, but let, you know, experience something, you know, they're dependent on me, right? So I would have to have something in my either communications plan or business continuity plan to identify, you know, if, uh, to let them know, you know, there's going to be a problem. You're not going to get the uh, the product you're expecting or the service you're expecting or your checks when you think you're going to. You know, I'd have to incorporate that into my plans, would I not? Yes, exactly. And, and then at that point, we're looking into more of a crisis communications plan and, and even um, um, being able to proactively reach out to the clients when and if an organization is going through trouble, also helps in, in, in reputational risk management. So an organization may be going through some issues and may be prevented from some time to provide those services to, to the clients. But if it's managed proactively, it, at that point, it will become even a, a favorable factor in the middle of all the unfavorable things that may be happening 
a favorable factor for the organization's reputation. So when an organization goes back in business, clients will regard that organization more highly and the organization is going to be more likely to, to recover from that interruption. And I remember from uh, us working together at a, uh, a organization uh, years back, we had some of that in, in place, you know, where we, we tested some of that, sent off tapes off site. You know, if we have a problem, here's how we're going to get you your information. Right. So I, <clears throat> excuse me, I am getting your cold, Alvaro. Um, <laughs> uh, we need to make sure that, you know, like you said, a two way street, you know, it, we got to make sure we have that on our side as well. Yes, absolutely. And I remember at those times, uh, we reached out practically to, to our clients and we told them, hey, we have not received the following files from you. What do you want us to do, right? And, and I think our, our clients appreciated that very much. We even had a third-party issue because we depended on a courier to deliver some of the, the, the information that we had in ways of checks and, and, and receipts and, and, and documentation, and that wasn't happening. So we reached out to the organizations and told them, we were open. We have a physically uh, uh, open window here for you to come and pick up that information because our couriers are not operating. So that also helped quite a lot in, in helping our clients understand that no matter what, we're doing our best to, to manage the situation, right? And that helped us in many, many ways. And also it positioned us uh, as, a, as a more trusted service provider for our clients in the future, yes. Uh, I, I think I recall the the uh, incident you're talking about, uh, and I'm not sure if you were still there, but uh, I'll share this with uh, our, uh, our listeners. Uh, we did the same kind of a tape where a test where we uh, sent a tape off saying you know, we're unable to provide you the information that you require, but we will send it uh, via courier down to X location. So we did. We sent it down. Um, the courier was uh, stuck in traffic because there was an accident on Highway 401. And then when he finally arrived, he uh, put it on the desk of the uh, person that was supposed to receive it. But that person had already gone home and there was nobody there to accept all this uh, information. So suddenly we had a, they had identified a risk at their end saying that we only have one person who can do this. So um, it was rather interesting to go through that because they, they identified things they were completely unaware of. They just assumed it would happen between, you know, nine to five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, and, and uh, digging a little bit uh, deeper into the business continuity cycle, I'm probably going to be a little bit of topic. That, that is what, what you do during, during simulations, right? That is, uh, is, is really the, the most significant value added when you identify those gaps and you put them on the table and you address them, right? You address them proactively, yes. Well, then you, you know, you also, uh, I'm assuming you, after some of these uh, exercises, you reevaluate some of your risks, right? Because maybe by testing, you've um, helped mitigate uh, some of the risk probabilities and you know, things that might occur. Yes, and, and I would say, um, in, in a more uh, wide scenario, I mean, you, you constantly evaluate um, your threats. So, so because, let's say, climate change, for example, the hurricanes might be more often or stronger, right? Um, and also, you, as you build certain capabilities, your vulnerabilities change. You are less vulnerable. So you build, you build a bunker, so you are less vulnerable to hurricanes or you cross-train people, or you identify that second person that is going to be there to pick up the tape, 
then you're going to be less vulnerable. So it's constantly uh, going through through the cycle where, and the next phase really is, is risk monitoring and risk reporting. So by monitoring, we're saying, okay, are we going through the same risks? Are we going through the same vulnerabilities? And, and, and have threats changed in, in any way, right? Uh, I'm sure that many of the threats that we, we have in Canada today are quite different from what we had 10 years, 20, 50 years ago, right? And by the same token, our vulnerabilities have changed. So that is part of the cycle. The other part is this risk monitoring and risk reporting to the executives. So how, excuse me, how do you report to executives, you know, the risk monitoring and because uh, up front we talked about, you know, we have this initial risk uh, assessment or findings report. So how do you keep that going, updating it? Like what do you recommend? You know, you don't just, I'm assuming you don't just hold a a test and then just say, okay, we'll check these couple of risks. You know, how do you keep that whole process alive and, you know, making it part of the culture? So there's an official, uh, or there should be an official risk record, and also named the risk registry, uh, where we keep track of all those risks, right, and, and, and all the different, again, likelihoods and vulnerabilities and assessments, right? And that's the, the primary source for the official book of record to use to report back to the executive. So this is the risk landscape that we have. This is where we stand on those risks. And also uh, that links to what are we doing um, to mitigate those risks, to manage them in a certain way, including including also tracking acceptance, right, or tracking full remediation, and also what is the receivable risk. So on a regular basis, we're using that to report back to the executives to get executive visibility to also confirm or seek additional decisions and also to get support from the executives to address those risks. And that, that, is, that completes the entire uh, risk management cycle. So who do you recommend owns this risk registry? Obviously, the business continuity group picks it up to some degree, but do they own the risk registry or does, should somebody uh, within an organization or an area within an organization own that? Yeah, so that, that comes to what, what is being more and more prevalent, uh, the concept of the three lines of defense. So um, the first line really is, is the business and the business owns the risk. The business owns the processes and controls uh, to manage that risk or to mitigate that risk. So, so also there's another concept that is quite important to, to talk about, which is control. So the process is what I follow on a regular basis. The controls uh, uh, are in, in certain aspects also those controls that help me manage that risk. And there's compensating controls, which is if I don't if I fail in this control, what other control will kick in to, to minimize the risk of materializing? So the business owns that, owns the risk, the processes, and the controls, and also owns the key risk indicators, which typically measure what kind of um, uh, risk levels I have and, and past what point I'm getting to, to the point of no tolerance, right? So I'm saying, for example, um, if I have many facilities in the Caribbean. So if I, if I increase the number of facilities past a certain point, that is probably too risky. Or if I have too many people in one location, that is probably too risky. And that could be defined, let's say, for example, in a way of the percentage of my overall staff that is in, in a hurricane zone. So when I go past, let's say, 90%, that is way too much. But that tolerance is defined by the business as the risk also is owned by the business. 
So does that mean they own uh, technology risk too? Yes, so uh, the business owns technology risk, absolutely, including including the many other aspects of technology risk. I'm not talking only about uh, technology interruption, but also information security, absolutely. Okay. How, so how often, you know, do, should this risk registry be looked at, you know, what and, and what kind of things should trigger, you know, the, the risk registry to be looked at, you know, not just a test, but, you know. So, so it is good practice to, to, to look at it regularly. So I think organizations need to develop more and more a risk culture uh, where they are constantly, I mean, staff is constantly risk aware. So um, I guess in the best practice, at least once a year, right? But if organizations are risk aware, they're constantly on, on the hunt, I guess, for elements that help them understand risks better and update the risk register. So if one day you see a piece of news happening, that might affect you, so you update it. So, if, for example, I, I'm not concerned about pandemic risk, right? And at some point in time, one day, I see an outbreak uh, nearby of a certain, um, let's say, uh, virus uh, or flu virus, then probably I need to adopt me- uh, measures right away. I cannot wait one year to, to update it. So organizations need to be constantly on, on the hunt for elements that affect their risk landscape and also trigger right away immediate responses, right? Okay. So on that, we have to take our second break and we are talking about risk management and we're talking with Alvaro Aranda and we'll be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com All round the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea. To Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We're talking with Alvaro Arantia about risk management. And Alvaro, you mentioned uh, some different risk types that are out there and operational risk, uh, business continuity and disaster planning tends to fall under. But can you tell us some of the other, uh, about some of the other risk types, um, like regulatory and how regulatory uh, risk can impact an organization or business continuity or anything like that, you know, and maybe a couple of other other ones to give give our listeners an idea of, of things that they should be looking for? Yep, absolutely so. I think one, one more prevalent um, uh, risk as well is, is regulatory risk um, in the sense that um, there's, a, there's a regulator or there's multiple regulators nowadays that influence uh, the way organizations conduct business. And sometimes they are more like the formal regulators. Sometimes it's just uh, communities, right? So, so there, there will be just community pressure around um, being, being environmentally friendly, for example. But there's also other areas that are heavily regulated like uh, like a healthcare or like financial, for example, that are heavily regulated. So the regulatory risk also speaks about you know, the risk associated with uh, being in a state of regulatory non-compliance. So that would result um, um, other effects with, for example, impacts on um, reputation. So what if the regulator publishes that XYZ or your organization actually is getting fined or is getting investigated because of certain things, right? So that affects your reputation. And another case also is, of course, the associated financial penalties uh, and even legal risks associated with that based on regu- the regulator imposing uh, penalties or imposing all certain processes or ways to operate on an organization that has been in a state of non-compliance. Is that um, like Sarbanes-Oxley you know, and, and things like that, you know, that come into play that organizations need to you know, uh, pay attention to, because I, I know uh, going, having sat through some of the sessions with, with regards to that, you know, there, there's penalties if we don't have this in place, if we don't address that. And, you know, um, is, is that like one of the examples you're talking of? Definitely. So surveillance actually requires certain um, controls in place for financial reporting uh, and to avoid fraud and, and other related uh, issues. So it, it is not, uh, for example, triggering controls necessarily around business continuity or disaster recovery, other than preservation of financial records. But if an organization fails to have controls that prevent fraud, financial fraud within that organization itself, and hence to, to fail to protect the investors, then at that point, organization is exposed to Sarbanes-Oxley-related uh, 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 penalties right, and, and requirements. And, and for, from that perspective, organizations have needed to adopt um, certain controls and from a financial management perspective, right? So um, from my past life also, 
we had to work with our clients to establish those processes and to establish different and document different controls in, in processes related with financial controls. So there was a process analysis that linked um, those organizational processes with the financial reporting cycle, and that, that made those, those, um, the, uh, those processes almost in the scope of surveying software, and then helped us creating controls. So my point is really that risk management is not only around um, um, risk of facility destruction or business continuity or IT continuity. It is also around other types of areas within an organization that in this case would be triggered by uh, regulatory requirements. Well, you, you mentioned quite a lot of uh, good information there, and it got me thinking, uh, what about risk management and privacy or information security? What are your thoughts there, considering that's you know, in the headlines quite a bit lately? You know, what are, what are your thoughts with, with organizations on how they should be managing that when it comes to, you know, their risk and exposures, et cetera? Well, back a few years ago when we worked together, uh, PIPIDA, in this case for Canada, came into effect. And, and as an organization, we had to adopt different controls, right? At that point, we started just, we created a privacy policy, which we didn't have, so that's one of the controls. And we created also a series of awareness uh, um, events and documentation with privacy. So all those things are associated with the privacy legislation that came into effect. Now, on top of that, as an organization that operates in multiple jurisdictions, namely different provinces or different countries, each one has its own different requirements, so an organization needs to adapt to those requirements. And now specifically, or more recently, CASEL, which is the Canadian Anti-Spam Legislation, that has forced many organizations to reevaluate their relationship with their clients. And, and from a CASEL perspective, all of them have had to say, okay, uh, we were including you in our distribution list no more now, or we're giving you an opportunity to opt out. And from a privacy perspective, that has deep uh, links into the overall information technology area associated with records management and records retention as well. So. It is important that from a regulatory perspective, the entire organization understands what the regulation says and understands the impacts of that regulation so that you can properly adopt the different controls and processes to deal with it. So, for example, in privacy, it's not only a matter of naming a privacy officer. It isn't only a matter of just sending an email saying, hey, we respect your private information. It has to do also with a lot of changes in the technology side of things to adapt to that regulation. So, based on what you're, you've you've been saying, that it sounds like risk management isn't just you know one little area; it's everywhere. Yes, yes, exactly. It's everywhere. So, as we started talking uh, in, in in your show, the moment we we get out of bed, or even perhaps before, we are managing risks without us even knowing. Let alone also in the business, right? So, if it is in a very basic in our very basic life, in the way of doing business, it's got to be too. So risks are are spanning across all different business areas within within our organization, I mean, the different departments, and across all different uh, sectors too. So again, if it is healthcare, you got certain risks. If it is financial, you got certain risks. If it is um, um, data processing, you got different risks. Manufacturing as well. They all have different risks. One of my one of the companies I worked for before was 
was very comprehensive in the sense that that organization had its own insurance company, had its own manufacturing uh, uh, facilities and departments, had its own third-party management, had its own financial issues too. So it was exposed to a lot of those items, and you could see it more clearly. But in any way, organizations have all of them exposure to all those different risks, and, and as an organization as a whole, they would need to understand them in a comprehensive way, and most importantly, the linkages across the different departments and different risks. So a risk from an HR perspective may have also links to uh, the financial uh, uh, department and financial processes and to the IT processes as well. So all those links need to be understood and their interrelationships also need to be understood. So how do you recommend you know, keeping that, um, all those uh, dependencies and links, um, in line, you know, how, what what recommendations do you have for organizations to make sure that happens? So I would say two key things. One is it is important that the organizations um, create a risk awareness culture. So um, by by virtue of doing that, anybody uh, should be able to say, "Hey, I got this risk or this item in my department that may pose a risk." And by association, it might also be linked to this other department or this other process. So by having a risk awareness uh, culture, you are better positioned as an organization to understand uh, each department's own risk and each risk's interrelationships. And also, the, the, other, the other part is also uh, uh, creating a risk management team that helps uh, put everything together, helps being the glue, and facilitate uh, all those discussions as well and also be that conduit, that official conduit, to put in a book of record that risk landscape for the executives to understand and to make valuable decisions. So creating a risk culture, you know, is that, uh, how, how do you do that without creating you know, um, panic? You And I know both you and I have been in meetings where people have, you know, oh yeah, what if this and what if this, and they just go on on these big long you know, uh, speeches about all these bizarre things that can happen. So how do, you, how do you create a proper risk culture within an organization? It, it is definitely and, a, a process, a long process. Um, you need to create it also through uh, awareness, right, and, and support. I constantly just try to speak to my, my fellow uh, practitioners that I think it's better to position risk as a way of a business enabler than as a way of, uh, of creating panic. So we, so many people are, have been talking about the many disruptive events on September 11 and all the different the hacks of the day, I guess, from the month or of the week as a way to just to get people a bit scared and react. But very few people actually speak about the many benefits that derived, that were derived from a proactive approach where, where actually impacts were avoided. And I think that's a better way of doing it. If organizations understand that there's a business uh, value proposition by proper risk management, uh, you're creating a more positive and, and I guess, a more um, pervasive risk awareness culture overall. But as I said, it takes, takes some time to do it. It takes constant reminding, um, constant dialogue at different levels. So we talked earlier about the lines of defense, and we're saying the business owns the risk. But there's also risk management layer that helps creating that risk practice, creating the risk policies, and also being that conduit to the executives. And there's a third layer, which is what you want to have, but in a certain way you want to avoid, which is the audit layer. 
or you want audit just to be also a conduit to the executives and to the board, but also you want at the same time audit to be clean, to be saying, yes, we, we have nothing to worry about from this perspective. You said that uh, magic word, uh, audit, and I'm sure many listeners just all of a sudden went, ooh, you know, <laughs> as soon as they heard that. <laughs> but you're right, you know, uh, audit's there to help, you know, and keep us on track. You know, I always uh, make friends with audit. So. so we've come to the end of our show. Alvaro, I want to thank you once again for enlightening us uh, on another subject, um, and this week it being risk management. Um, there's lots here. Uh, I hope uh, people take uh, some thoughts away and take a look at their own programs and how they in- integrate risk management uh, processes and procedures or enhance uh, anything existing you know, that they may have. So thank you once again for joining us, Alvaro. Thank you, Alex. Happy to be here again. And uh, I'm sure I'm going to have you back again. <laughs> Great. Happy to as well. Uh, And to everyone that's listening, uh, again, I just want to let everyone know if there's a subject that you want us to talk about, um, please send me an email, info at stone-road.com, or you can connect through me through LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on there, Alex Fullick as well. Uh, Send me an email, you know, send me what uh, you want to talk about, or maybe someone else should come on and talk about, and we'll see what we can do about getting you on the show and getting your uh, issue or your topic addressed and, uh, you know, give you the information you need to make your uh, disaster recovery and business continuity programs or any other aspect of your organization, make it stronger and better. So until next week, thank you, everyone. Thanks again, Alvaro, and stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.